Why, hello. It's another Community Spotlight episode of Pod People's Podcast for people who make podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Green, the head of community at Pod People. These spotlight episodes are all about highlighting our incredible community, of which you can be a member very easily. Just head over to podpeople.com slash audio dash pros. Why? Because our community is amazing, and it would be that much more amazing if you were a part of it. This week, I spoke to Marvin Yue, who is a podcast producer, host, and the co-founder of the Potluck Collective. This is a collective of podcasts that feature unique Asian-American voices and stories. He produced podcasts for clients like Entertainment Weekly and Travel and Leisure. Marvin has also made live and digital events for the Asian-American entertainment community in and alongside major events like South by Southwest, the Sundance Film Festival, and Tribeca. Marvin is an advocate for diversity and inclusion in media, and he has spoken extensively about the subject at industry events like PodCon and Podcast Movement. And it's clear to me that Marvin values and appreciates the Asian American lens on everything, but especially pop culture. He hosts not one, not two, not three, but four pop culture podcasts. From Books and Boba, maybe you've heard of it, to the Korean drama podcast, he gets into all the pop culture with a cheerful disposition and thoughtful point of view. And we got the chance to see that thoughtful point of view firsthand. I talked to Marvin about his journey into audio, what he'd tell his younger self, and not to toot our own horn, but how pod people helped direct him into his current roles. But to get to know his journey, we had to know where he started. So we began by asking him what we ask nearly every community member in our onboarding sessions. How did your journey in the audio industry begin? I kind of fell into it. I started producing podcasts for a nonprofit that I work for called Collaboration. Uh, We were a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in arts and entertainment. And our bread and butter are live events. So I did a lot of producing like concerts, conferences. And I had been listening to podcasts for a couple of years by then. And I thought to myself, hmm, we have all these great conversations with artists and creatives wherever we go across the nation. Why don't we try to, you know, have those conversations and record them? Mm-hmm. And so I started off with purchasing like a basic like Behringer mixer. I got like a Tascam recorder that I plugged the output into. It's very DIY MacGyver <laughs> stuff, you know. And we started making a podcast. We called it the Collabcast for collaboration. And as we went on, I started upgrading my my rig. So I started buying better mics, upgraded to a Zoom so I can record separate tracks. And then, you know, kind of gradually both develop my own production habits and workflows and also learn more about what makes good audio, you know, mm-hmm. recording in a non-glass covered space, <laughs> making sure that all the guests have monitors so they can hear themselves. As we started expanding to doing phone interviews, how to do phone interviews, how to, you know, adjust the mixes and a lot of just figuring things out. So that's how I got started. Yeah. I kind of just started small and then started building that experience. And, you know, my experience with producing live shows helped with Understanding workflows. I was going to say, yeah, one thing that comes up often in this show and in my experience, I have a deep live event experience (laughs) as well. And that even started in the theater. I just feel like there's so many barriers to entry that are forced upon a lot of people. But it's always interesting to hear when somebody takes that core skill set and then moves it to another industry. 
now to your point, like how to make it sound good and then be able to deliver that content after that event is over for people who maybe weren't even there. Do you have any like words of encouragement that you would give to maybe your younger self as you were starting out? Hmm. That's a good question. I haven't really thought about those days in a while. I think, I mean, everyone starts somewhere, right? So what advice I would give myself would probably be, like, I've been thinking about making a podcast for a long time before I actually made mm -hmm. one. And a lot of what was holding me back was the, not even the fear, but like the thought that no one wants to hear what I have to say, mm -hmm. you know? And part of starting it is, for me, finding that excuse. So finding that reason, you know, that, okay, we have access to these really great creative people who have a lot of things to say about, you know, not only representation and diversity, but also we focus on creatives. Uh, a common, you can call it a stereotype now, mm -hmm. is the creative arts aren't really supported within Asian American families a lot. You know, there's always exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, we always feel like we're on the fringe of what our community mm -hmm you know, finds acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so finding that common ground and broadcasting that so people can relate to it, that became my reason to create the show. I think you're sort of just saying, don't pause too much, do it, air to the side of action, and then also like <laughs> connect to what matters to you when you're doing that. Yeah. My advice to younger, like people starting out would just be just do it, you know, just put something out. It doesn't have to be great, but it'll help you build that skill set so that when you do find that concept, that show that really resonates or that you feel like you're meant to create, that you have, you know, the abilities, you know, you're in a better position to make mm -hmm. that show. Let's pivot to your shows. So you've worked on a lot of podcasts, but a lot of your shows, uh, your originals at least, center around specifically Asian American pop culture. And so I just want to first kind of hear what drives you specifically to that content area time and time again? <laughs> well, like I mentioned, I've worked over the last, I want to say decade now, within the Asian American entertainment creative space. So as an associate director for my nonprofit, I worked with a lot of major events and companies dealing specifically with diversity and inclusion programs. Mm -hmm. I helped produce the first all Asian American Music showcase at South by Southwest. I produced talent shows across the nation for Asian Americans. So I think the reason why my shows tend to focus on this, this theme is because it's what I know. <laughs> it's where my network is. But also it's where, I guess, my passion is. Having worked in this space for so long, you know, you can't grow up in the U.S. as a minority without at least understanding the importance of representation and the importance of diversity and, you know, being in this space where I've supported artists and creators for so long, it's just natural that I want to use this medium that I found myself being a part of to further that mission. So long, I mean, the short answer is it's because it's what I know, mm -hmm. but also it's what I believe in. And what has your experience been so far navigating the diversity and inclusion in media space, specifically as an advocate for your community? I've traveled the nation working on these events. I've visited different communities in LA, in DC, in New York, in Texas, in Atlanta. I think it's because of the way that um, I think education is a little fragmented in our nation, especially when it comes to the histories of immigrants, marginalized people, things like that. So the consciousness of where we are as like 
identity wise mm-hmm. is different. You know, it's different in LA than in New York, than in Dallas, than in Atlanta. Because everyone's kind of at a different level. Like there's a lot of people right now where representation for them means I see someone that looks like me on stage. There's some people who think, okay, representation for me is someone who looks like me on stage or on screen with lines. And then, you know, for those of us who are working in entertainment, like what we want to see is our stories and our perspectives portrayed on screen. So that means, you know, stories written for us, about us, by us as well. And, you know, learning about things like writer's rooms and how many people and how many decisions and how many eyes and brains it takes to even make something, especially in, like, quote-unquote mainstream entertainment. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. And understanding like that, we need diversity in all levels of that decision-making process. There's this conversation going on within the media, mm-hmm. right, about representation, about diversity. Right now, we're at a time where diversity is front and center because of, like, to be honest, a lot of, like, really bad stuff happening in our nation, right? A lot of, mm-hmm. you know, violence, a lot of hate. And, you know, right now, we're at a moment where everyone is looking to diversity as, if not a solution, as a way to at least create more empathy and create that more diverse world that we want to see. Entertainment's always been aspirational, right? It's portraying a world that we want to see, that we want to, you know, see in our everyday life. And it's important that right now, this diversity, this moment that we're in, we can sustain that. Mm. I do want to hear, I realized I missed a part of this that I want to ask you about, which is to tell me about the Potluck Podcast Collective that you formed. Yeah. So the Potluck Podcast Collective started, I think, at this point, five years ago. Mm. And about that time, a couple of my friends and people that I work with in the community also started their own podcast. So, you know, Quincy Sir Smith with Asian Americana, Phil Yu and Jeff Yang with their They Call Us Bruce, Ada Sang and Brian Hu with Saturday School. And and then the idea that we all would come together and, you know, create a collective to at least support each other's shows, right? Because, you know, right. if people who listen to my show might be interested in people who listen to, you know, Quincy's show or Phil's show. And so it kind of just came together I don't want to say organically because it did take (laughs) some organization, Mm -hmm. but it was just for us a kind of like collaborative effort to support each other's shows. We are a collective independent show, so there isn't really a central like organization governing the shows. It's kind of just, I guess, a loose alliance of kind of like web rings back in the day. I don't know if people remember web rings in the internet. Kind of like that. Like we just kind of agreed to share some common branding and iconography. And then we would support each other's shows by promoting, you know, the central website or a promo with each other. Yeah, it's a great site. My husband is Chinese and he is like against podcasts. (laughs) <laughs> Which drives, it just drives me crazy because I, I know that he would love them if he just tried. So I'm collecting this like shows or episodes or things over the last like four years. I have like a playlist. And when yeah. I saw the site, I was like, okay, I'm just going to send him this site actually. Because <laughs> I think that will be like a really useful quick, like here's eight different shows you can definitely listen to and connect with. Yeah. So, so back to diversity and inclusion in, in media. Well, not back to, but just this question <laughs> I have, which is like in terms of actual change, that you have observed. I would love to just know, like, if you have seen anything actually change, even a small example or a big one. You know, something I've noticed while traveling and working with different communities is not everyone's at the same page of where they are in terms of even what they consider what representation means to them. And so part of what 
media does, right? Part of what podcasts or movies or TV shows do is creates this national conversation that everyone can be a part of. Because for a lot of us, especially in the Asian American community, we don't learn about things like the Vincent Chin murders, the um, Wong Kim Ark trial that created birthright citizenship, mm-hmm. even like the Korean African American divide in the LA riots. Mm-hmm. We don't learn about the nuances of those unless we take an Asian American studies class. Mm-hmm. And a lot of schools don't offer those classes. There's this gap of knowledge that's in the community that if you don't go to a school with these classes, you will never learn. And even if you go to a school with these classes, you might not even know that class is being offered or you might not feel the need to take those classes, right? Mm-hmm. So like even in high school history, you learn about the internment camps, but you don't really learn about them. You just learn that they happen, mm-hmm. right? You don't learn about what those experiences are. And so I think with the increased representation in media right now, like we do have documentaries, we have narrative films, podcasts about these issues that people can now learn. And like you mentioned, can share with their friends and show them, like, okay, these are stuff that we didn't learn in school, but we should know about our culture. There's more of those stories now in mainstream media, but, you know, <laughs> it's easy to think that, okay, we're represented now in media, the work is done, right? But that's not the case. We're still like a small, small percentage of what's out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially compared to the overall demographics of the nation, you know, we're not where we need to be overall. So the changes that we've seen over the last few years, having more diverse content on TV, in podcasts, it's great. But at the same time, there's still a lot of work to do. And part of that is, like I mentioned before, understanding that just having stories isn't enough, just having characters isn't enough. You know, we need to have people who understand these experiences writing. We need to have people who understand these experiences making the decisions like greenlining and developing, even doing lighting or doing costumes or doing makeup, right? And so there's a lot of work, great work being done right now by organizations like CAPE, the Coalition of Asian Pacific Entertainment, like Collaboration, like Go House, that are, you know, creating especially um, CAPE, who has two fellowship programs. They have a fellowship program promoting developing writers to get staffed in writing rooms mm-hmm. on TV, but also developing executive track Asian Americans to take those roles in making decisions and kind of building that pipeline of talent that will lead to a more diverse future, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we spend a lot of time thinking about at Pod People is we have the ear of some of the biggest companies in the world. And, you know, it's how we tell the story of a candidate, right? And how we pitch that candidate and how we do everything in our power to get that person an opportunity, whether it's an AP role because they haven't been given that opportunity before, or if it's somebody who is even higher level, who just needs more of a cheerleader, right? To explain kind of like, this is a person for the gig, right? Um, (laughs) So I guess, To close, I know you've done a lot of work with pod people, and this is pod people's podcast for people who make podcasts. Um, And (laughs) it's really for our community members. And over the next year or so, we're going to be doing more events and resources and educational opportunities and, and really doing things like this, lifting our community members up. Just curious to hear you talk about pod people and your experience with the organization, just for people who are new and who might be listening to this for the first time, because, you know, they're friends with you or, you know, they find it and they don't really know about this pod people thing. (laughs) I've had a really great experience with pod people. 
the barrier to entry to start making podcasts is really low, right? Mm-hmm. You don't really need much in terms of equipment to make a podcast. And this is, I guess, going back to advice I would give people starting out. Making a podcast is different than like wanting to work in podcasts or do podcasts for a living, right? Anyone can talk into a microphone and put it out there and say they have a podcast. And anyone should if they want to. But if you really want to make this work, you know, you got to start actively learning, you know, developing your skills. And I didn't go to school for broadcasting or media, and I didn't work at a public radio station, right? So even though those aren't impediments to starting a podcast, they do put you at a disadvantage to work in podcasts, right? Because a lot of people in podcasting, that is like, have you had radio experience Mm -hmm. is something that people look for. So I think what I appreciate about pod people is, at least in my experience, being able to take my experience as like a quote-unquote amateur podcaster, using that to, like you said, pitch me to places where I myself, as an independent podcaster, probably wouldn't be able to reach, right? I've produced podcasts for Entertainment Weekly and currently producing one for Travel and Leisure. And these are jobs that if I was on my own, I probably wouldn't have access to. And so I really appreciate pop people being able to connect me, having faith in me to do the job, but also connecting me and, you know, probably selling me to these, you know, bigger (laughs) media outlets who are looking for talent. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending this time with me, Marvin. I will be reaching out to you, I'm sure, this year as we start to build more community programs. I'd love to shine more of a light on the work that you're doing and want to just keep this connection going and really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Yeah, thank you as well. And that is Marvin the Marvelous. We cannot thank you enough, Marvin, for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. You're a dear part of our community, and we're glad to not only have had the chance to chat with you, but also just to have you available for projects. You bring such a great sense of understanding, thoughtfulness, and kindness to everything you touch, including this interview. On next week's episode of Pod People's Podcast for People Who Make Podcasts, our wonderful head of production, Matt Sav, speaks with Courtney Kosak about, drumroll please, story editing. I think the thing that I didn't realize, at least when I started, are like the simplest questions are the best. (laughs) Once you're in it, you have to let go and you just have to be present and be curious. The Pod People team is Rachel King, Ann Fuse, Matt Sav, me, Tyler Green, Andrea Perez, Danielle Roth, Sammy Reed, Isabel Genius, Ashton Carter, Alexa Brooks Major, Stephanie Bashara, Devin Wilson, Priscilla Berlin, Madison Lusby, Brian Rivers, and Erica Wong. This podcast is edited by Katie Cloxton and mixed and engineered by Erica Wong. All links mentioned in the episode are, of course, listed in the show notes. Pod People has Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So give us a follow, a like, a comment, really anything. We'll see it. We'll respond in kind. And again, if you haven't already, be sure to join the Pod People community by going to podpeople.com slash audio dash pros. Like I mentioned at the top of this episode, it is free. It's great. In the words of our wonderful interview subject, we love to help get you in front of jobs you wouldn't normally have access to. So fill it out. What could it hurt? And please don't forget, you can always email us at hello at podpeople.com. We're waiting for your fan mail. Don't let us down. Until next week, podcasters, Tyler out. (laughs) Tyler out? What does that even mean? (laughs) 